Welcome back to Hope Wednesday. We have delved into a very hot topic for the, the believers in the congregations across America, and that is church hurt. This is our third series. We've looked at the history of the church. We've looked at uh, offenses and why offenses come and the, the frailness of humanity. And we've looked at um, how pastors can cause a lot of harm and how members cause harm among themselves. And now we're going to go deeper into what causes the perceived hurt and what causes um, a lot of the emotional injury based on our past experiences and currently. Because we all are the sum total of our experiences. We talked about how the church parallels the home and that there are you know, seemingly adult figures, parents or pastors and first ladies, and then they are siblings. So there's jealousy, rivalry. So there's so many things that can trigger, which means to emotionally stimulate a memory, a painful memory or a threat from our past. And so we're reacting in our past with transference and we're not living in the here and now. So there can be a lot of unresolved issues. And we've experienced so much by the time we've come to church, that we have a paradigm. We have a way of seeing things. We have a way of doing things. And so we're going to look at what contributes to church hurt, perceived church hurt, and what keeps us stuck in church hurt, because some of it's real and some of it is uh, just our perception of it. So we want to honor what's real. And we also want to look at what we are creating because of our, um, our mindset. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for another opportunity to share your word with your people Please help me, Lord, to dissect this lesson so that we can get the most out of it. You died for us to be a glorious church and to be a loving brothers and sisters. We are fighting, oh God, against the stigma, against the the negativity of church hurt because it is driving your people away from the house of God. And we just ask that you help us. And we ask that you help those who are in search of healing, that they would hear this word, hide it in their heart so that they might not sin against you and a sin against one another. In Jesus' name, amen and amen, amen. All right, so we know that thoughts are created by experiences um, that we've had, the way we attach. It has everything to do with our home experiences, our parents, the way we love, the way we relate. We bring that into our Christian walk. We bring all of our prior experiences, if we were abused, if we were adopted, if we were in foster care, if we were the favorite child, if we weren't the favorite child, if we didn't have communication in our home, if whatever it is, whatever it is that we had, we don't drop that off at the door. That walks into the congregation and sits down next to us, and we sit down next to it every week. And so we are the sum total of our experiences and how we see our experiences. Our experiences are ours. That is our perspective. It's our point of view. We all have a point of view which changes our perception, how we see outward. We have an internal world with internal beliefs, internal um, emotions that we've experienced, and we we call it validity. This is our, our perspective is our reality, but then there is perception, which is the outside world, world, and that's a different reality. So we're striving for God's reality because everybody has a perspective. They have a point of view. 
And so we're coming together and we see things differently. And it's almost like in the movies, like Martin, when, they, when Martin tells the story about he and Gina, how they got together, everyone told a different story, right? Because everyone sees things from their own internal view, from their, from their perspective. And so they tell the story as usually themselves the victim, everyone else the villainizer. You know, it's hardly likely that people see themselves as the villainizer, right? And everyone else as being victimized. So we have that tendency to be biased in the way we see things. We have faulty perceptions. And faulty perceptions, I would say, in my experience, have to do with more than 50% of the perceived church hurts perceived church hurts because people come in with damaged perspectives, perceptions based on how they see the world versus how God see it and what is real. And some people are married to their perspective. You cannot tear them away from their truth. (laughs) Yeah, It's like fighting to get them to see what the truth is and what God says the truth is. Because if they feel a certain way, then that's, that's Bible. I feel nobody likes me at that church. I don't care what you say. I just feel that way. That's my perspective. And and usually no one can change that because you're leaning and you're more favorable to your own perspective, you know, or they meant to do that. They meant to overlook me. They They didn't call my name out on purpose. They meant that. That's your perspective and no one can change that. And you won't even take any type of prompting of God's word to say, think positive or get clarity. No, I don't need to talk to nobody. That's just the way it is. So some people are so stuck in their distortions and their their fragmented and their painful minds that they see life in church people through the lenses of pain. They filter every experience through painful experiences and negative experiences. And so that becomes that becomes the challenge. And there's a there's a term called heuristic, and it is a mental shortcut. It's in psychology. It has to do with perception and how you see things. Um, It's a mental shortcut that helps us make decisions and judgments quickly without having to spend a lot of time researching and analyzing information. You might ask, uh, why do we do that? We do that because we need to feel safe. Sometimes we don't want to investigate because that leaves too much time and space for possibilities. And we want to know what we're looking at so that we can feel safe. Oh, that's a bad person. So I got to stay away from them. Oh, that's a messy person. I got to stay away from them. Oh, that's a loving person. So I get to love them. We make decisions quickly because we're trying to reduce any anxiety that would send us a message that we're not safe. So we either, uh, we have polar opposites of this person is perfect. This person is horrible. And we stick to that bias, which becomes a confirmation bias. And then we look for other behaviors to support that. And then we, we, it's like we build a case against people because we want to be safe. We want to we feel like we know this person so that we can keep ourselves safe. And we mark them territorially as dangerous. And, we're, and, and we don't do the work to get to know them. We just say, um, or we hear from other people, or we've experienced someone like them. You know, if your teacher was mean, 
Or if your teacher overlooked you and you can be in Sunday school class with the, with the uh, teacher or with the pastor or first lady and they don't see your hand raised, now you, you know, heuristic kicks in and you take the shortcut and you go right to that file of how people treat me. And so now you feel like they overlooked me, they saw my hand raised and they don't call on me, they don't care nothing about me, they only care about their family, they only care about the people in the front, they only care about the ministers. See how that starts rolling? And then the next time something happened because you have this bias, you're looking to confirm your suspicions. So the, this is one thing about confirmation bias. If you look for something, you will find it. You can build a case for anything. Oh, this church is unloving. See, they didn't give, they, they didn't give me attention or they didn't give me this or they, they forgot. You know, I don't come every week and they were giving out candy bags and my kid didn't get one. See, that's the confirmation. I don't belong here. See how they treat people? And so everything you filter negatively to support your negative bias. And in the same respect, people who love their church, they do it the opposite. They have a confirmation bias. So they look for positive things. Oh, my pastor called me. Oh, my pastor called on me. Oh, I, I got to present this in the church. Oh, I got a hug. Somebody checked on me. So whatever you're trying to confirm, if you're trying to confirm that people are hurtful, you're going to look for hurtful behaviors and you're going to make hurtful scenarios and you're going to have that negative confirmation bias. Or if you want to think positive, you can have that bias as well. And it's the old saying, you get what you look for. For example, if you buy a car, say you buy a, a blue um, a blue bug, Volkswagen bug, you're going to notice the Volkswagen bugs now. You're going to notice the white ones. You're going to notice all the ones because now, because you have one, you're vested and you're, that's on your mind more. So now you're going to look out and you're going to look to find that and you're going to find it. Before you bought that car, they could just roll by because you weren't paying attention. But the minute you start identifying people and you say, oh, they're, they're messy. Oh, they have a sex problem. Oh, they're mean. Everything else, you know, if they come in and they look kind of serious, oh, yeah, see, look, they're mean. Look at that mean face. Maybe they don't feel good. Maybe they just got some bad news. Maybe they're going through spiritually. But when you have a confirmation bias, you make everything about yourself. And guess what? Children make everything about themselves. Children are very egocentric. When children are growing up and parents divorce, they feel like it's my fault they got a divorce. So you kind of think that because your world is big to you, you think that you're big in everyone else's world. And you're, and you're really not. Everyone's trying to manage their own world. So everything becomes about you and you have the negative biases and you just see things from a negative lens. And you're also, like we discussed, you're looking at past experiences. You're trying to search, you're trying to solve present issues with past experiences. And when you do that, it just turns out to be destructive and you're going to get the same result. You're going to make everyone else guilty. You'll never see anything else but yourself as the victim. And you see everyone else as uh, derelict, selfish, not meeting the mark, and you are just the victim. So a lot of it has to do with your experience. If you just, it just does. If you felt like you were never good enough, if you have guilt and shame and people get up and they have um, victorious lives, you may feel like they're judging you. You may feel like, um, you know, if you're married and your marriage is not going well and someone is holding marriage 
conference or talking about marriage, you may feel like they're talking about you. They're, they're talking about my marriage. And they're just talking about marriages in general. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't want people to hallucinate. Sometimes that does happen in church. But when you have receipts, like when people do sub- sin subliminals, you can pray about it and you can, you can confirm. I've had to do that. You can confirm and say, that sounds like my situation. I don't know. Are you talking about me? Give them a chance to clear it up. And, and to correct it and to apologize if it is. So we have to be careful for the comp- confirmation bias, which is the tendency to seek out and to interpret and favor information in a way that reinforces your perceptions, your beliefs, and your hypothesis and your expectations. If you think the church is going to hurt you, if you think that people are going to dog you out and you come in with that defensiveness without any skills, then that's what's going to happen. You're going to get what you expect. It's the law of attraction. Whatever you look for, you will receive. And then there's the something called the horn effect. The horn effect is kind of like um, some of the things I mentioned, but the technical term horn effect, it means the tendency to perpetually demonize, hence the name, a person based on bad first impressions or single negative traits. People can look like your stepmom. People can look like your stepfather. People can look like your kindergarten teacher who ignored you. People can look like the the person who sexually abused you. People can make you feel like you're not that smart, like your teacher did. People can make you feel like you're not valuable, like your family did. And that one experience is a horn effect. You keep it and you can not navigate from the entrapment of that emotion. And you cannot get past it because you haven't got past your past. You cannot get get past something that you haven't got past. Most of people who are church hurt, church hurt have not gotten past their past. They're fragile. They need to wear signs that says, I haven't gotten over my past. I'm living in my past. So please, you're likely to become a part of my past if you do anything that's not that seems wrong or that is not perfect. That's the truth of it. And I'm not saying that it's their fault because it's never someone's fault when they've been abused. My point is to show you that you didn't cause the hurt from your past, but now that it's here, you get to, with God's help, heal it so that you don't walk in a state of perpetual church church hurtness, so that that's not who you are. That's not how you're identified. I've had experiences um, you know, over my 30 years from the pulpit, from the pew. And I don't lead with that. I don't say I'm giving up on God's people or I'm giving up on leadership or I'm giving, I've seen too much and I've seen a lot. I've experienced too much and I've experienced a lot. It takes the ability to decide to be healed, right? And some people don't get healed because they don't even know this is an issue. They just, when you feel vulnerable and when you feel like a victim, you feel helpless. So you complain and blame. So you have the church hurt story because you don't understand that you're, you can fix it. You can heal yourself. So you just feel in a perpetual state of victimization. And so when you hear that, you know that someone's leading with that. That means that they haven't got the help they needed. It's not their fault, but they haven't got the help they needed. And they're stuck in a perpetual cycle of church um, reliving former pain and church pain. It's a combination. Uh, and, you know, instead of just, you know, to be honest, the, the accurate thing to say is I'm, I've been hurt. But we like to generalize and throw a blanket over the church and say church hurt. And so we walk away and we just say I've been church hurt. But you've been hurt. Hurt is inevitable. 
You've been hurt. And then there's the illusionary superiority. This is, this is oh, the word I say is moral superiority. You know, this, this is the subtlety of church hurt because you don't even recognize it. We mentioned that Jesus was hurt by everyone. We hurt Jesus. One time, let me park here. One time I was talking to someone, and they were like first ladying me up, and I said to myself, I'm going to let y'all in on a secret. I said, Jesus, why is they calling me? And I'm broken English and everything. Why is they calling me first lady, and they, do not, they don't have a plan on earth to honor me as such or, or anything? They're not going to hold me in that regard. Why are they calling me that? He said, <clears throat> let me clear my throat. <clears> throat> Sis, um, you know, there's a whole scripture that says, why call me Lord and you do not what I say? So you're not special, sis. Sometimes you don't do what I say, but you still call me Lord. I said, well, bless the Lord. Okay. Um, you know, we're all going on to perfection. So you can have a moral superiority is what I'm saying. I said all that to say this. And so you sit in the back row and you have a pen because your church hurt. Nobody asked you what songs the choir should sing. That was a B flat. I need to talk to Brother Tyshawn after church because he hit the wrong nerd. No. Oh, Brother Ruben on those drums. I need to talk to him because I can play them drums. Oh, Brother Manny on the bass. Mm. Mm. I don't think he's really, I don't really see him worshiping. I just see him playing the playing the bass. I don't know about that. Oh, the pastor's word was good, but he used that word wrong, you know, and, and I, I don't know that he's spending enough time with his wife and his children the way he should. And I, if it was me, I would do it this way. And you know what? They should have, they could have. Church hurt is based in language like that because you feel that you have the answers, what you would do and what they should do. And that makes you feel invisible because now you've critiqued. You've taken on an invisible role of what the church should be. They should give out this. They should do this. They should start at this time. They should get out at this time. They should have this Christmas program. They should do this online. They should do this prayer meeting. They should go out evangelizing over here. They don't never listen to my ideas. Well, the problem is the problem there can be moral superiority. If you have moral superiority and like no one's on your level, everything's going to offend you. Like you're going to feel like, um, how dare they? And that's what offense does. When someone hurts you, you can walk in moral superiority and you can feel like, how dare they hurt me? I can't believe that they did this to me. Not realizing that they did it to Christ first, not realizing it may be an accident, not realizing that you've done it to other people. So people who are church hurt, if they're not careful, they can have a serious moral superiority complex where they feel like, I've never hurt anyone, but let me tell you what's happened to me. Let me tell you how they talked to me. Let me tell you what they did to me. Now, I'm not talking about the ones who were just blatantly um, blatantly mishandled, abused, mistreated, talked about, because those are covert moral superiority. That's sneaky. The devil, the enemy gets in sneaky to make you unforgiveness. Unforgiveness to make you not forgive. Unforgiveness is moral superiority because you feel like, I can't believe they did that to me. And then you say, I'm not going back to a church because I'm not going to be treated like that. Like I'm too fragile when the truth is, is that you may be hurting, but join the club because Jesus hurt on the cross. Join the club. You're sitting next to survivors of hurt. 
This is a community of survivors of hurt. And that's not permission to keep getting hurt, but it's permission to get skills so that you can be assertive, protect yourself, which we'll talk about in our next topic, so that you can protect yourself. But to stay in a perpetual state of victimization and to tell your story, let me tell you what the church did to me. I don't do church. The church is fake. The church is this. You're talking about, if you're, if you're a believer, you're talking about yourself. And if you're not, you're talking about God's bride. And you are probably as fake as the people you're talking about because you didn't tell them. You, you're generalizing it. So that makes it that you're, you don't have the um, integrity to do what God says do. So we want to be careful that, yes, while we're wounded, hurt people usually hurt people. If your church hurt, then your reaction is to have moral superiority and to uh, t- tell what people did to you, you know, and even if it doesn't benefit them, well, let me tell you, you know, the pastor snapped on me. He apologized, but he snapped on me. Well, the pastor was being human. Or the first lady, she didn't call me back. And yeah, she apologized, but she didn't call me back. Or she over, or they didn't call my name up, but they apologized for not calling my name up. We have to be comfortable if we want to tell a story, make sure that it's complete because the Bible talks about it's, 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 it's just weights and an abomination unto the Lord. Just weight means that you're not being fair. And it means that you're only giving people one side. And although the Bible admonishes us that not to take one side and that we're foolish if we just hear one side, we still do. And once somebody paints that picture about the church, that ugly picture, that Frankenstein of a picture, It takes a lot to get that picture out of your head because it creates an alarm of unsafe, unsafe. And most human beings need, all human beings, excuse me, need to be safe. So if we're painting the church as a dangerous Frankenstein place, no one's going to go there. But then we don't do that to the club. We don't do that to the bar. We don't do that in in places like that where people are going to get diseases, you know, getting sex trafficked, getting their lives taken away drunk driving and dying and killing people. We don't put warning signs on those places, but we want to just warn people. Let me tell you about my experience at church. Let me tell you about my church hurt. That's moral superiority and it's defamation of character of the church because we're all growing. There needs to be some collegiality. I'm not talking about hiding one another's sin because the Bible says we get, there's a way that we are supposed to address it and we're supposed to handle it. But the moral superiority is the voice of the person screaming, church hurt, as if you've never hurt anyone. We have to be careful. We can get our needs met without demonizing and without bringing in our past issues and continuing them among people who didn't do it. Some of the apologies that people need is not just from their pastors, from their parents. Some of the apologies that people need is not from their brothers and sisters in the house of God. It's from their siblings. You're in a disconnected estrangement and you're hurt from them and you get over here and you see the same dynamics. You can't escape relationship and relating. And so you need to fix that relationship and maybe bring them to church with you so that you're not so concerned about people who have pre-established relationships. I was in a meeting one time and um, that I was hosting at my house, and some people were sharing with us that they had a problem with me and my sister, Tammy Flakes, is relationship, that, that we were close. Like, it bothered them that we had a 20-some-odd-year family and church relationship that 
bothered them because they didn't build that, but they wanted that. So now they're hurt because they don't have that. And now they can say, that church has a click. That's not fair. I've had instances where people have not been invited to occasions and they have threatened to leave the church because they felt excluded because they didn't have the relationship that they, the other people had with the person at the engagement. That's unresolved issues because if you've always felt like you're underappreciated by your family and people, work environments, and then you get to church and you don't have a relationship with someone and they don't invite you, and now you are ready to use a confirmation bias and say, all churches are like that. I can't do family church or I don't do church. Because of that experience, we have to get healed. We have to look at where we're having moral superiority, where we're having transference, where we're doing confirmation bias, and we have to begin to be honest and look at our perception, our perspective. What are we experiencing that's causing us to see the bride of Christ the way we see it? Are we seeing the bride of Christ the way God sees it? Or are we responding from past hurt and we're putting expectations on people that we should have put on other people that failed us? But now it's a continuum. You're trying to get your needs met and your fallacy. I'll I'll give you that because I had the fallacy that we're all angels and we're all going to be peaceful in church and everything's going to be wonderful. So you thought, okay, we're all going to be one big family and we're all going to love each other and we're not going to build relationships. We're not going to get to know each other. We're not going to look at if we're compatible. You like, you know, Christian country. I like Christian rap. Like, or you like to read. I like to go out. That means we're not going to spend a lot of time together, but it means I love you. We're just different. And we all have to be friendly. I don't get to wait in the over in the corner for people to come to me because I'm writing notes. See, I told you no one's going to. Uh, Sunday number 30, no one came to say hi. Well, the Bible says that he that hath friends must first show himself friendly, right? And I get it. If you're a visitor, you expect people to smile. But if you've been coming, there's, it's a two-way street because leadership has been hurt too. So we're watching too. We have a little heart too. And so, and the people in the congregation, we're, we're surviving, we're, we're recovering from our hurts. So yeah, we're all looking at each other. We want safe people. So, but the process has to be positive. But if you come in with a negative bias that the church is just full of pain and hurt, and that's why I don't do church, you're bringing that negative energy and you're going to find what you look, what you uh, are looking for, even if it's not realistic because you create the world in your head and every incident you can make it that you're being overlooked, you're being judged, you're being treated unfairly because reality is in your perspective and you never check to see if this is reality, if this is God's reality. God's reality is the only reality that works. So even if you have been church hurt, hurt by people in church, and if you've hurt people, the bigger picture is how do I handle it? And how do I recover? And that's what we'll talk about next week.